0: And I would invite you this morning to turn once again to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 to 15. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 to 15. And as you turn there, we're picking up where we left off last Sunday, which was how the Lord grows us into spiritually mature people. And the reason why that's important is because, as we said last Sunday, spiritual maturity brings life. You may remember that our our passage last Sunday ended with the saints of kiriath jearim taking the Ark of God into their town. And that because of their spiritual maturity, their life with Jesus was incredibly blessed. So much so that all of Israel began to lament or to yearn after the Lord. That is the life of these spiritually mature saints, the life that they lived with Jesus was so good. It was so joy-filled, it was so thank-filled, it was so righteous that the rest of Israel couldn't help but notice how good a life with God can be, and it is, and thus they longed to have that same deep, personal, life-giving relationship with Jesus for themselves, which was actually a pretty amazing desire for them to have, you may remember, uh, because when First Samuel began, Israel didn't really trust Jesus. In fact, Israel had a whole bunch of backup idols, a whole bunch of backup gods that she worshipped alongside with Jesus. And she did that because, as we know, trusting the Lord can be hard, especially when he doesn't act the way that we would like or act as quickly as we would like. It can be very hard to trust Jesus when there is an intense amount of pressure and anxiety And fear, and the New Testament word that sums all those up is is tribulation, intense pressure. And the temptation that Israel fell into, which we can also fall into, and probably have at some point in our life, is to gather a whole bunch of idols alongside of Jesus as backup gods, who we hope will step in and save us when, in our view, Jesus fails to act, or just doesn't act fast enough, or doesn't act in the way that we want him to. Now remember, the tool that the Lord used to address this problem was the dark night of the soul. The Lord let the ark of God get captured by the Philistines, their great enemy during this time, and with that, Israel was plunged into this great sense of loss and fear as they faced God's opposition to the sin of idolatry in their life. Opposition, which left them feeling as though God was far away from them, even feeling that he had abandoned them, that he had left them. Now, of course, the Lord wasn't far away. He had not abandoned them. But in the dark night of the soul, believe me, you very much feel as though the Lord has abandoned you. Which is why this tool is so useful. Because it provokes us to actually seek God, to turn our hearts to him, to cry out to him, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever, as the psalmist prays. It helps us cry out in faith and seek the Lord by faith. And you can see how effective that tool was because again, once the ark returned to these spiritually mature saints at Kiriath Yerim, Israel now lamented after their relationship with Jesus that she had sacrificed to these idols and she longs to have a healthy, joyful relationship restored to Jesus. It's actually a very beautiful picture. But of course, yearning for a deep relationship is one thing. Getting a deep relationship is another thing. Uh, You can yearn for a deeper relationship with your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends. But if that yearning isn't translated into actions, if you're just sitting on the couch going, oh man, I really wish I had a deeper relationship with my loved ones. Let me see what's on Netflix, right? If you don't, translate that into actions, that relationship isn't going to get any deeper. It's not going to go anywhere, especially if that lack of closeness is the result of immaturity or even sin, which is, in both cases, are true here in Israel. And so the next step, then, that the Lord leads Israel down on their pathway to maturity and to a closer relationship with him is repentance. And what I really want to focus on today is how repentance plays out in Israel's life in our passage. Uh, What you're going to hear this morning is Samuel, who is the Lord's priest and prophet during this time, tell Israel that if they really want a better relationship with the Lord, then they need to return to the Lord. They need to repent to the Lord. And Samuel will tell them that their repentance will need to involve three things, which are our three points. Put away idols, Samuel will call them foreign gods. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. Uh, now you hear our passage say other things too, but these are the three things I want to focus on this morning, and I'll pick up on some of what I'm leaving on the table in our sermon next Sunday, Lord willing. Uh, but for now, let's read 1 Samuel 7, 3-17. to We'll pray, and then we'll reflect on the kinds of repentant actions the Lord calls us to take when we're entering a dark night of the soul in yearning for a closer walk with him. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 3. This picks up immediately where we left off last week. Let's listen to God's word. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisk from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the bales and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, so that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him, As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth-ker. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzvah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you for this word which we have heard call us and teach us how to return to you and which has shown us the way that you respond so powerfully and faithfully when we do. Uh, Father, we want to learn how to better repent so that we can grow in maturity and and know you more more and love you better. But, Father, we know that uh, we will not profit from these things unless your Spirit blesses your word to us. So, Lord, we therefore pray that your Spirit would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts, uh, may it all be pleasing now in your sight. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So as you can tell, after some amount of time passes while Israel is yearning after the Lord, Israel finally goes to Samuel, who at this time is the priest of God and also the prophet of God, and they tell Samuel their heart's desire. Uh, Now, we don't know what they said exactly. It could have been a full confession of sin where everything was just sort of laid out. It could have been something more like a lamentation that uh, they just didn't have the relationship with Jesus that the people of kiriath Jerem had, and they desired that for themselves. And I bring that up because uh, in the Bible, not everyone first comes to Jesus with a full-throated, clear, easy-to-understand confession of sin and all that. I mean, sometimes they do. That's very nice for us. But other times they come just wanting to know that God will notice them, Like Zacchaeus in the Gospels, who climbed the tree to see Jesus, and who did not confess his sins or follow Christ until after he learned that Jesus noticed him and loves him. And sometimes people come to Jesus because they want the joyful life that seems to follow him everywhere. Think again about the Gospels and all the sinners and tax collectors that the Gospels say, followed Jesus everywhere he went, drawing near to him because of the joy and the thankfulness and the hospitality, the welcome that flowed from Christ. They became his disciples and they confessed their sins after they experienced his goodness and after they saw his goodness in others. And I'm bringing this up because we all as a church need to have the wisdom like Samuel did to take whatever desire people have that's drawing them to Jesus And then use that desire as the path that Jesus himself has set for their repentance. That is for their drawing near and for their maturing in the faith. We need to learn to do things like tell people, yes, Jesus absolutely hears you when you pray. Let's pray together. And by the way, did you know that Jesus even hears you when you confess your sins? Like there's so much joy in telling Jesus your sins because then you can hear him forgive them or we can assure people yes jesus absolutely sees you and notices you and in seeing you he cares for you and did you know that jesus even cares for you and sees you when you do bad things he doesn't close his eyes he doesn't walk away in disgust let's talk about how that makes repentance possible and how that makes for an open door into a life with christ Or to assure people, yes, Jesus is good. Come and taste and see his goodness with me. And by the way, did you know that all the patience you enjoy with us here, all the hospitality, the forgiveness, the kindness, the humility, that all comes from having our sins forgiven by Jesus and walking with him by faith? It's so important that we pay attention to the way people are coming to us as a congregation and as individuals, so that we can use the thing about Jesus that's drawing them to Jesus as their pathway to a deeper faith in Jesus. Because who knows here in this text what Israel told Samuel, though I doubt it was a full-throated confession because that actually doesn't happen until later. And also the fact that Samuel gives them the instructions that he does tells me that they at this point didn't fully understand yet Why they did not have the relationship with the Lord that they wanted. So I assume it was something more like a lament. Samuel, how can we have the kind of relationship with God that the folks in Kiriath-Gerim did? But Samuel was very wise. And so he uses their desire as the pathway that Israel will need to follow for a closer walk with Christ. And that pathway begins in verse 3. He says, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisk from among you. Samuel says, if this is what you want, then this is how you get there. And it starts by putting away the idols you've been serving. Now, the question is, what does it mean to put away idols? Kids, does it just mean that you put them away in a basement somewhere? Right, if you just rented a storage room and get the idols out of sight, would that be enough? Is that what Samuel means? The answer is, of course, no, as I see so many of you shaking your heads. Because after all, if all you did was put an idol away in a basement, you're still keeping it a place for it in your heart. You're saying, I can't actually give this thing away totally. So I'll just keep it out of sight, but not out of mind, until I want it again. And that is absolutely not what God is calling Israel to do here. No, to put away idols in the Old Testament means you take down your altars. You take down the altars that you built in the markets and on the sides of the roads and in your homes. You take them down and you destroy them. And then you take whatever money you've offered to them and you use it to feed the poor. Uh, As an aside, I learned this week when working on this sermon That when Israel was entering the Promised Land, God tells them that the treasure from the idols that they uh, take was to be put in the treasury of the Lord, which is where the poor, the widow, and the orphan were fed from. So to put away idols means that their places of worship are to be taken down, the treasure given to the poor, and that the people of Israel are to stop praying to these idols and stop making sacrifices to these idols. And not just making sacrifices in terms of you stop killing bulls and goats, but also sacrifices in the sense that they are not to dedicate their money to their service, or their farmlands to their service, or their family to their service, or their time to their service, or their thoughts. You're not even to think about them. To put away an idol means you are decoupling your life from that idol. You are detaching from that idol. You are separating from it. You could say you're divorcing yourself from it. It's an end of the relationship. In other words, to put away an idol is about directing your heart, all of yourself away from that idol. But putting away idols is not simply a negative act. It's not simply about decoupling. It's not only about stopping certain things. It's also positive. It's about starting certain things. If you wanted to think of it like a train, and the idols are the cars and you are the engine, it's not simply that God is saying decouple from the idol cars. He's saying decouple from the idol cars and couple yourself to the God cars. And this is an important part of repentance, which is also an important part of spiritual maturity. Repentance does not mean it does not mean just stopping the bad thing. It means that you replace the bad thing with a righteous thing. So in Deuteronomy, which Samuel references here, when God has explained to us what it means to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, that's Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, which Samuel references, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. In Deuteronomy, when God has explained to us what it means to love him with all our heart, he'll talk about these negative things. Don't lift up your hearts to an idol. Don't sacrifice to them. But he spends most of his time in Deuteronomy talking about the positive things, such as when you wake up and then throughout your day and when you go to bed, speak the Bible to yourself and to each other. Have a practice of bringing God and his word into your life regularly and consistently. The medieval monks reflecting on this passage, they call this a rule of life, a way of living, where your day is literally framed around Jesus and in his word, where it's built upon it. The first thing you do when you wake up is say, is, is, uh, repeat God's word. And then throughout the day, as you move from one time, morning, afternoon, evening, you break that up into different segments by scripture, and by prayer. And not just that. Uh, make sure, God says in Deuteronomy, that there are some public, there are some ways that you are publicly identified with Jesus. So in Deuteronomy, God will tell Israel to put tassels on their robes and put scripture on their houses. Uh, personally, speaking for me here, I find things like Christian art, heart, Christian art in our houses and cross necklaces a way of applying this today. Not everyone does. I do. Uh, But regardless if you agree with me or not, the goal is clearly here in these commands to connect your life to Jesus publicly in some way so that when you go out and when you go about your day, you remember who you belong to and who loves you and who you are serving and who you represent. But it's not just that. God says, identify yourself with me by keeping Sabbath and keeping worship, draw near to me daily and regularly in prayer. These things are what God defines as loving him with our whole hearts. I actually like to think of it this way. Putting away idols creates the mental, emotional, and physical space necessary to put yourself in front of Jesus every day. Putting away our service to idols frees up our time, our energy, and our space to sit at the feet of Christ and to receive Him and to learn from Him, to pray to Him and to serve Him, to be dedicated to Him. Uh, Relatedly, I also like to think of it this way, which is another way that Jesus talks about this. Jesus tells us you cannot serve two masters, right? Idols in Jesus... They don't have the same goals, they don't approve of exactly the same things, and they definitely do not love in the same way. And when you're stuck between two masters, you're constantly trying to hedge between them because you're stuck between them, so neither gets served wholeheartedly. Putting away idols takes away that pressure. It's saying to Jesus, look, Lord, I am devoted to you. I want to be devoted to you. I will learn from you what a good life is. I will learn from you how to live it. I will learn from you what love is and how to show it. I'll learn from you how and what spiritual maturity means and how to live it out. And so what Samuel is telling Israel is if you want to return to the Lord and have this kind of life that the saints of Kiriath-Jerim have, then you need to repent. You need to put away these idols and you need to replace your devotion to them, the time, the attention, the space, the energy, Replace that with devotion to Jesus. Replace the time we're spending thinking about these idols and serving these idols, with time spent thinking and serving Jesus. That's the road that gets you to a close, life-giving relationship to God. In other words, get off the couch, turn off Netflix, start walking down the road towards Christ. Now, if you're wondering why I'm connecting repentance to spiritual maturity and even talking about repentance as walking down a road, then I'm glad you asked such a good question. Uh, Because I realize that for many of us, repentance means either just that initial first turn of faith to Christ, so many of us use repentance to mean the first time someone looks to Jesus as the Savior, or we mean it as just confessing sins. So we either think of repentance as intellectual, I acknowledge Jesus, I'm putting my trust in him, or verbal, I'm confessing my sins to Jesus, Jesus, I'm sorry. Uh, But in the Bible, repentance is so much more, which is revealed by the fact that the Old Testament's favorite word for repentance is to return, to walk back, to come home. To turn around and walk toward Jesus my friends repentance is not it is not just a one-time act or acknowledgement of sin it's not just confessing sin it's taking our whole lives body soul spirit desire thoughts and marching it toward Jesus which is why the idea of walking toward Jesus, repentance, and maturing in the faith are very much overlapping concepts in the Bible. So in the Old Testament, God will say that when Israel was walking with Jesus and walking towards Jesus, she was mature. She was strong, wise, capable, trustworthy. She was an adult. But when she stops walking towards the Lord, when she walks away from Jesus, she's foolish, untrustworthy, immature. The Lord will literally say in Hosea 6, which is one of the great books on repentance in the Bible, the whole thing's dedicated to it, that because of Israel's lack of repentance, she was a child that refused to grow up like Peter Pan in the Nightmare Land. Relatedly, in the New Testament, just to show you that this carries over, Paul will call us to grow up and mature in the Lord by following after Christ. Walking with the Spirit, walking with Jesus, that is the same language as repentance in the Old Testament. Paul will also say in in a, a pretty profound passage that when he was a child, he thought like a child, he reasoned like a child, he acted like a child. But when he became a man, that is when he repented and followed Jesus, he put childish ways behind him. And that is the path that Paul says God wants us to follow. Walk toward Jesus, repent daily, walk toward Jesus daily, and we grow in maturity. And we do that by putting the idols of our hearts away and putting on, to use the New Testament's words, Christ. And we do that by replacing our thoughts about these idols with thoughts about Jesus, and by replacing our service to these idols with service to Jesus. By learning from Jesus how to live and how to love and how to be righteous. By walking toward Jesus with our whole selves, we then grow up in Christ. Repentance creates maturity. And I have blown through the time I need to talk about our next two points. So I'm just going to pick them up next week. Uh, That means this just became a mini sermon series. You guys are welcome. Uh, So let let me just end with this. Um, If God has you in the dark night of a soul to deal with some idol in your life, either now or in the past, as he did with Israel in our text, uh, then you are probably at this point aware of what needs to be put away. But, as is often the case in Scripture, our idols are not always so readily apparent to us. Usually, because we've been serving them for so long, we just don't even notice them anymore. Again, that's why the Lord has a dark night of the soul as a tool to get us to see them so that we can, in fact, put them away. But if we can identify the idols of our hearts without a dark night of the soul and we turn to Jesus, Jesus sooner rather than later, I think that would be best for all of us. So let me ask this question. How do you identify an idol in your life so that you can start putting it away? Here are two good tests. Both come from Martin Luther. Here's the first test. Luther defined idolatry as whatever you look to for any good and perfect thing. An idol is whatever you look to, that's not God, for any good and perfect thing. So when you're afraid, what do you look to first? Your strength, your intellect, your bank account, your follower account, Buddha? Like, what do you look look to first? So speaking personally for a moment, applying this test to my own heart years ago, I learned that I had an idol in my heart of power. Uh, because when I would get afraid, the very first thing that I would do was imagine uh, myself fighting my way out of it, whether physically or verbally. The first thing I did was imagine myself beating back the person or the situation that was making me afraid with like my fists or my words. And so I had to repent of that idol and learn to walk towards Jesus. I had to learn to put uh, that idol away by putting on prayer and saying, Lord, you are my strength. You are my shield. You are the one I trust. in." Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, power, military might, strength but we trust in the Lord our God. And I repeated that verse to myself over and over again so that I could drown out the discipling influence, the power it had in my heart for decades and decades. So when you're afraid or when you want something that's good, what is the first thing that you look to for help or for blessing? Keep track of it. Like, write it down. That's what I did. That is a way to discover an idol. Here's another way. Martin Luther also said that you can tell you have an idol because when it shakes, you shake. I think you might have said this when uh, preaching on 1 Samuel chapter 5. So when Jesus throws Dagon down on the threshold and when he shakes an idol in our life some in some way, we will also feel ourselves shaken and thrown down. And we'll know that because we will get angry And we will lash out or we will withdraw in disgust uh, because the idol that we're following isn't big enough to protect us from our enemies, uh, let alone to teach us to love our enemies. And that leaves us feeling exposed and afraid. And so like our idols, we will hate and we will fear our enemies too. And that will reveal itself in all kinds of unchristlike ways. So when you hear someone being criticized or when something that you thought was strong turns out to have weaknesses, uh, and you become deeply angry and deeply afraid or hateful or scornful, and you find yourself full of bitter thoughts towards that person, that is a good sign you have an idol because that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus talking. It's why it can be a good idea to actually keep a journal for a month or two where you write down the times when you get angry or afraid and you ask yourself why and what you did when that happened. And after about a month or two, that can also reveal uh, an idol of the heart. And that's a good thing because once that happens, you can start by God's grace to put it away and to replace it with time and attention and service to Jesus. You can replace it with meditation on God and his word, repeating yourself Bible verses that catechize you teach you Christ's ways over the ways of idols and with prayers to god to the god who is not shaken but he shakes the earth in order to raise the dead my friends repentance is simply the daily task of walking toward jesus and the more we walk toward jesus the more mature we will all become and that maturity will always begin by putting away idols which we have to identify in order to do that. Uh, So let's let's do that. Let's prayerfully ask Jesus to show us whatever idols we may have in our lives so that we can put them away and walk toward Christ. Because uh, as we do that, we will know the joy of living closely with our Savior. And like the saints of Kiriath-Jerim, we will experience others asking how to have the same life Of Christ, that we have a life that is full and safe and secure, hospitable, righteous, and good. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we want to serve you with our whole hearts. We want to spend our days walking toward Jesus and walking with jesus so that we can know him and the power of his resurrection in our lives so that we can uh, grow up in the faith and shine as brightly as possible for you in this world and so father we ask for your help in exposing whatever idols we may have in our lives and we ask for your help in putting them away so that we can be devoted to you fully and totally and so enjoy as close a communion with you as is possible in this life Father, we want to be mature saints who live well with you and draw others to want to live with you because of the way you live with us. Please grow us up in Christ and mature us and help us in all this. We pray this in his name for the sake of his glory in our lives. Amen.